From the Pulliam Center for Contemporary Media at DePaul University, I'm JNP, and this is Modern Media. When you do the same thing the same way for so long, it clouds your ability to see a way to do it any differently. There are paths that we can see toward meaningful journalism and meaningful news reporting. Our guest today is Julie Metzger. Julie Metzger has more than 25 years' experience as a journalist and publisher. She currently teaches journalism at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, where she also oversaw the development of the school's Unified Media Lab, for which she served as the coordinator until 2017. She also is the founder of the publishing and social media company, The J. Metzger Group. Julie Metzger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So um, I want to start by asking you um, a question about the value of um, a journalism education. So we're here at a university. You are somebody who's been a working journalist. You've been an entrepreneur. You've been a, you know, an owner of publications. Um, you have been an, you're an educator as well. Um, we often get asked about, especially today in these, in these times, trying times for journalism, which in some ways they always are, um, what is the value of a journalism education? And I wonder if you could speak to a little bit about that from the array of your own experience. Sure, absolutely. Well, I, I think that uh, a journalism education has never been more valuable. Uh, I do think that, that uh, journalism... Uh, has evolved and 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 it's what what it really means uh, has evolved for a variety of people but you know you you have news i, I sort of think mm-hmm. of it in, in two areas you, know, you have news we know what that is uh, we know what uh, uh, we learn about news values and we learn about how to identify news we teach that at the university um and and we learn that as we go as a uh, as an emerging journalist what news is and where where you find news and then you have journalism which is a much bigger word and and covers a lot more territory i think uh and uh and is a much broader term so I think that it's that's an exciting time to be doing either of these uh but i i often tell people that you know a, a degree in journalism or or at least the study of media let's say mm-hmm can prepare you for all kinds of disciplines. In fact, I talk to employers all the time who, you know, they, they prefer to hire people who have studied media in some fashion, often because those folks know how to find answers and they think, uh, you know, analytically and they, and they understand how to connect the dots and, uh, and they're a little skeptical. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's really a good thing in a lot of different disciplines. Yeah, because it seems like one of the one of the big skills that we're trying to teach here is how to learn more, right? So what always struck me is about about journalism is that every journalist for every story you have to learn some things in order to tell that story properly. Now you may learn it very quickly in a day based on the people you talk to, but you also might spend a year researching a topic in order to do a long-form story or a series, right? So that journalism becomes this um, process of learning, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. It is a process of learning, and, and it's, a, it's a skill mm-hmm. in, in as much as you, you, you have to know how to learn, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that means being inquisitive and not being afraid of asking questions. Um, 
understanding that it takes a lots of personalities uh, in the world to, to, to make up who we are, uh, understanding that you, you don't have to agree with the people you're interviewing to be able to be objective and, and, uh, and authentic in your reporting doesn't mean that you can't have an opinion. It just means that it's better to keep it to yourself. And I, you know, I mean, and that's yeah. a, that's lost, almost a lost art today. Every we want everybody to know what we think uh, all the time, and um, you know, I think this is this is very confusing to students of uh, of journalism, because we talk about, uh, you know, we introduce the word objectivity and mm-hmm. how to be how to learn to be objective, and uh, and yet they hear point of view all the time. Yes. And and so students who are writing for you, I know one of my challenges to get is to keep their opinion out of a news story. Mm-hmm. And I, I I wonder why is this such a problem? Why is it that they can't help you know, but interject their opinion? And I've sort of come to the conclusion is this is what they're reading and hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and so they think that's the way it's supposed to be. So you know, as an industry. You know, we, we we have to remind ourselves that that objectivity in news, mm-hmm. not point of view reporting, which there's a place for that, and there's a lot that's a lot of that's going on today, but being objective uh, is at the heart of of covering, you know, genuine news, and and so that that's that only comes through repetition and experience, I think. Yeah, and as you were talking, I was thinking about um, the the technologies that our students are immersed in today are all in some ways predicated on sharing your opinion, sharing your point of view, um, personal branding is they've really sort of um, engaged with that. And so in some ways it's, it seems almost that it might be confusing to say, well, I'm supposed to keep my opinion out of this because everything else in the world is telling me that I'm supposed to share and share and share and share, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So I can see that that would be a challenge. And I I see that actually in my own students' papers, even if they're not, uh, even even in their critical analyses papers, I see a lot of themselves creeping in. And my job is always to say, well, I want you to take a step back. I mean, this is your analysis, but... Exactly, exactly. And and I've seen the same thing. And I, I really started studying what is happening and talking to students a little more about why why that seems to be so difficult for them you know uh we're just inundated with it and so on on the one hand you know we those of us who are news junkies and can't seem to get enough we also know what we don't like and you know i'm not i don't i'm not into the you know the screaming you know broadcasters Mm -hmm. who are just you know going head-to-head over a, or on radio, for that matter, right? Uh, but I do, uh, I do appreciate a good commentary, whether I agree with it or not. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it's important that even today, maybe more than any time, that we promote literacy, right, media literacy. Mm-hmm. And not just uh, at a college level, but that has to start really early on um, about w- Understanding you, understanding what you're hearing, mm-hmm. uh, and understanding that it's a that it's a point of view, and that it comes from a certain place, and then and then weighing that in your own mind about where you stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I tell students all the time, you know, you you you, you need to make a point of listening to things you don't agree with, um, and so that you can understand why that yeah. where that person's coming from and whether you agree with them yeah. or not. That that raises the question for me because I, I, I think when you said media literacy, I mean that's really our that's really our calling card here. When I talk about 
what we do here. It's we promote media literacy. But a lot of us seem to have a slightly different version of what that might mean. And I'm curious about your own perspective on what does it mean to teach media literacy to you? I mean, maybe you've answered a little bit of that already. Um, but, you know, what, to you, what are some of the components of a good, solid media literacy? Well, I think that uh, uh, understanding the history yeah. of, of media, understanding the different uh, platforms, uh, understanding you know what what really happened um, in this country uh, at the turn of the century and and what was driving these these really um, uh, major changes in the way we consume news and information it 's very similar to what I think must be must have been like then uh, yeah. what we 're feeling today right yeah. so i think I think understanding the history of media. Uh, not just from a news perspective, but film, um, um, you know, uh, documentary. I mean, all, all of these art, really art forms. So I think it starts there. Uh, but I also think that understanding what you're consuming. For me, media literacy is, to, is the ability to understand what you're consuming, what you're hearing, synthesize it, understand where it's coming from, and then and then form your own opinions. Uh, um, you know, it, it's easy to it's it's easy to get talked into something, and this is too important to get talked into. You know, you mm-hmm. you get a, it, it, whether you believe that uh, you know that there is a far right and a far left, and you're right there in the middle. Whether you believe that or not, you you, you know what I mean. You yeah. you have to be able to understand that. Uh, uh, those those points of views exist, and and a lot of people adhere to them. Yeah, it seems like it's almost it's the the job of teaching media media literacy is becoming a little harder in these in this era of pretty solid echo chambers, right? So there we a lot of our well a lot of us a lot of my colleagues a lot of my peers a lot of my friends and students, you know we are able now to surround ourselves with a lot of media. Um, that is aimed at us already. Um, and so we tend not to question um, things. And I, what, I, what I feel is pretty important right now is that the, the, the sort of relatively recent revelations about fake news and where things are coming from has made a lot of people step back and say, you know, that stuff I was consuming that I totally bought into might have been completely fabricated. And now right. I have to start looking at sources. It's alarming. And, and uh, uh, all of us are thinking, well, well wait a second. And, and some of it's obvious, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, some of it, I think, is obvious. But some of it's not so obvious. Uh, you know, Marty Behrens wrote a piece. I don't know if you happened to read it a week ago or so. The um, um, executive editor of the Washington mm-hmm. Post. Uh, and he was speaking... Um, speaking at uh, Oxford, I want to say, but he, he said the old rules of journalism no longer apply. Oh. And, uh, uh, and why is that? Um, well, uh, we're, the press is under attack. There's no question about that. Um, uh, the, the, and, and, you know, we've always been an easy target. Mm-hmm. Uh, the press is always it, that's not a new thing no. uh, so we've we've always sort of constantly been under attack what's different now is that uh you know we, we, there is a lot of um misinformation that's being thrown toward us uh 
and and we're having to respond to that in lightning speed. Mm-hmm. We have to fact check at at a at a record pace in real time. In right? real yeah. time, the the uh, the politics of the country can't be. You know, that's a big part of what's going on here. We all know that, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we have a president who is leading the charge against the media. Yeah. Uh, you know, First Amendment, be damned. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, a, lot of part, a big part of the public, who are right behind him. And that's what we have to come to terms with. Politico yeah. in October published a poll that said nearly half of all American voters – 46% believe the news media fabricate news stories about Trump and his administration. 46%. Right. That we that the news media Oof. makes up yeah. the news about Trump and his administration. Three quarters of Republican voters believe that. So if you have a public that does not believe you, mm-hmm. wh- where does that leave the press? Yeah. You know, even though, we, you know, we say these are facts, we can substantiate these facts— well, I don't believe your facts, and that's really where we are today. Yeah. And so, and so, when when Marty Baron says the old rules of journalism no longer apply, I think that's that's what he's talking yeah. about. So, and so it does raise the question. And I'm not sure we can answer that here, but you know what what is the response of of journalists in that point, or what is the response of the news media to this kind of overwhelming perception? Is that the new job is to try to reverse that somehow? And how how do we do that? I mean that may be too big a question. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. I think. I think that being entrepreneurial in journalism is important right now, and that uh, local journalism, community journalism, has to take a bigger role in addressing uh, media literacy and in, in reporting important stories about your communities. And you know, we have a couple different levels yeah. of coverage, and. You know, where does this all really come home to roost? Well, for me, it comes home to roost in what's going on in my local school system, what's going on in my hometown, what's happening with my taxes. And, and uh, you know, we we must have a watchdog of government, and mm-hmm. the press can still play that role. Maybe not in the traditional form of, uh, you know, only newspapers, uh, but lots of different uh, organizations, colleges and universities play a bigger role in their communities and, and in their programs. What are the possibilities for these students to get involved and really immersed in their community uh, and report things that, you know, are for the public good? One of the things we've, we always try to teach students, right, is how to, not only the skills that they need, we're trying to get them through that too, but also just how to think about being enterprising, about being entrepreneurial, about your the kind of stories you're writing, the kinds of the ways you want to build an audience, and yet students being somewhat traditional in their in their approaches. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. I find students to be very traditional. They've grown up thinking things are going to be a certain way, and they get to college and decide that they want to you know they're going to they want to go work for the New York Times or uh, another uh, newspaper. Uh, and that's fine, and they might very well get to do that. But we cannot deny the fact that there are half as many jobs at newspapers than there were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there are other kinds of jobs in news. Uh, in fact, some of the best journalism uh, being done is done um, digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, The Marshall Project, which I'm a big fan of, the, of that uh, publication, um, 
they've been around, I want to say, uh, since uh, just, just really the last, within the last five or six years, and they've already won several Pulitzer yeah. Prizes. Politico, yeah. uh, you know, look, these are organizations that have uh, really uh, turned journalism on its top. It's also funded in a completely different way, funded by um, venture capitalists, non-pro- other nonprofits. Um, that was my question, which was how, how do these places fund themselves? But They're not counting on advertising. No. And, and I think that's the other real uh, key here is that we have to look for other ways to fund the journalism. And journalism is expensive. Uh, there's a reason why broadcast almost always turns to print for the investigative reporting. Uh, so, you know, there's a reason why CNN says, according to a r- report in the Washington Post, it's because that's that's who did the work. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 I mean, look, it's just not everybody can afford to have these big, lush, yeah. you know, news organizations. And so finding ways to fund them uh, is really important. Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, um, and, you know, it's a private organization. We don't know how it's doing financially, but he doesn't seem to be worried. (laughs) Uh, There's still contractions going on in other – almost every other newspaper in the country. So students are, are traditional. I think we have to open up their idea, their minds to the idea that they can still practice the craft in in lots of ways. And and print is just one way to to gather uh, audience. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had a student who uh, we sent on a internship um, to in D.C. a couple of years ago, and she worked for this place called D.C. Witness. And um, I had never heard of it before, but they do this tremendous work of it's just the real on the ground, down and dirty work about covering homicides in D.C. and every single homicide is reported on. Wow! You know, or everything exactly. they can get to, and that's a kind of journalism that I don't think we could have imagined or done uh, ten years ago. No, no, yeah. and it's important work. Yeah, I want to just restate for you too. Um, the Marshall Project started three years ago. It won its first Pulitzer Prize in 2016. <laughs> Politico started eight years ago, has won four Pulitzer Prizes. Mm. Those are just strictly digital yeah. uh, outlets, right? Uh, and uh, uh, there's, a, there's a new niche publication that I just discovered called South Dakota News Watch. Uh, and this is a, uh, an organization that's funded by uh, – it's a 5013C non profit business model. It accepts no advertising, no sponsorships. And it's starting a pilot project just launched two weeks ago. Mm. And the idea is uh, we're going to hire an editor and a reporter, and they're going to do investigative reporting across the state. And they're going to provide their content to any news organization that wants it. So they've already made some partnerships in Mm -hmm. print and in broadcast across the state of South Dakota looking at statewide issues, Uh, knowing that many of the legacy models, you know, have shed some of the people they need used to do that kind of work, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's a gap. And so we, we see different kinds of organizations emerging that fill those gaps. And so whether it's a crime beat uh, education, you know, Chalkbeat mm-hmm. out of Indianapolis, uh, which focuses only on education. I think they're in f- three or four different cities. Indianapolis happens to be one of them. 
uh, and if if you care about education, I mean, they really are designed for policymakers, but also people who are in tune with that topic. Uh, Newsdeeply.org is a, a another nonprofit news organization, and there are these Sierra Deeply and uh, Ocean Deeply, mm. and they all take these deep dives on topics that are specific to that topic and and are funded by people who care about that topic. It's interesting to talk to you because I'm starting to think, well, on the one hand, it's real easy to lament the the contractions in in papers that we have grown up with, that we have a kind of nostalgia almost for, a real real fondness for, um, because they were an important part of our lives. And as they started to suffer economically and the contractions, people lost their jobs. But at the same time, it sounds like that also opens up all sorts of opportunities for people who might have a different um, way of funding that, um, allowing for a kind of deeper dive into that. Um, So what sounds like what's required is a kind of entrepreneurial spirit that says, okay, I see this gap. I'm going to fill it. It's a necessary Thing that I need to fill here, but there's there's not just one way to do this, and that this might actually open up an opportunity for people to really um, have the bandwidth, the capacity to go deep into. This. Is that? I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and and uh, when you do the same thing the same way for so long, it clouds your ability to see a way to do it any differently. And you know, I think the clouds of parted and mm-hmm. or dispersing anyway. It's not quite as foggy as it was just a few years ago. And so there are paths that we can see toward meaningful journalism and meaningful news reporting that don't necessarily involve, uh, you know, a, a, a press. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't, when I say press, I mean the <laughs> actual yeah, the press. the actual press, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's how we consume news. And, and when you watch how people actually consume their news and information and how much they use their phones, I mean, I'm, as, I'm terribly addicted to it. Uh, and, you know, won't leave the house without it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not so much that you want to stay connected as that, you know, you, you, it becomes, you know, it's, it's a, a matter of curiosity, what's happening mm-hmm. today. And, you know, we don't, we don't wait for a certain hour to find out. I tell students, look, when I wrote uh, for a newspaper, it was uh, uh, it would get thrown up uh, on a driveway by a 12-year-old at 6 o'clock in the morning, and someone took it inside their house. I have no idea whether they read my story. I have no idea what happened after that, uh, and none of us really knew. But now, because of uh, analytics and uh, what we can do digitally, we know who's reading the story, how long they're on the story, where they're going after they read that story. Uh, and how often they're coming back. That's pretty good information to be able to use to uh, become even more a more vibrant uh, news organization, right? Yeah, and I actually was going to ask you about that because <clears throat> on the one hand, it seems that the move toward analytics, we get a lot of data, we got a lot of information. Some people might take a critical view of that and say, okay, does that mean now that newspapers are writing to whatever the most popular story is? Or are they gathering information about what an effective story is? And I, I, I hear this debate happening uh, across uh, 
in academic settings all the time. The impulse is to say, oh, well, if they're just looking at data, then they're trying to get clicks, which might, which means they're just trying to play to the popular mindset. Mm-hmm. Something tells me that that's not quite accurate, that something like Chartbeat is used for that purpose sometimes, but also to tell more effective stories. We know more about how people are engaging. Is that I think that's absolutely right. We do. Now, you know, we started to talk a little bit about the difference between news and, and the broader term of, of journalism, mm-hmm. you might say, right? Yeah. You know, when, when we see a story, I have, you know, I air quote story <laughs> uh, about, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake using a projection of Prince at the Super Bowl, yeah. lots of people writing about that. Is that news? Is that just information? Is that how important is that? Well, some would say, you know, it's interesting and it's important, uh, but I don't think that's the kind of information that we have in mind when we're talking about you know, serious news reporting. No, with no. all due respect to, I'm a big fan of Justin Timberlake. Okay? We I, all are. I, I watch that performance, <laughs> but but that was like, like we all we, that was just over the top, yeah. right? So uh, 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 in some ways, the things that are being chosen to be written about, because we can write about anything, cast a light on the kind of profession we're in. And, and, you know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence wasn't wearing a coat with this photo of her and her her new movie. All the men in the photo were wearing a coat. She wasn't wearing a coat. There were, you know, Twitter went crazy over this. I don't care if she was wearing a coat. I don't care if Prince was on the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. those are things that don't, that just don't yeah. resonate with me for very long. But they do with some, and, mm-hmm. and they do get clicks, to your point. Yeah. Uh, I think that news organizations um, want to know what, particularly when it comes to community news, uh, want to know what resonates with their viewers or their readers. Yeah. And nothing drives traffic like news. So if news happens yeah. and you cover it, your traffic will, will grow because people will want to know about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so, so that's why you have to go find news. <laughs> uh, you have to report and be diligent and dogged and determined to get the news from your community. So you can put up all of the, you know, cat videos that you want. Uh, and, and, you know, there's some mindlessness on Facebook, of course. But consider your news organization as, a, you know, the, the, the serious nature that it is, which mm-hmm. is to, to cover the um, the news and information that's going on in your community to make, uh, to, to give you a really authentic view uh, of, of what it is like to live there. And um, if you do that, you know, you're, you're, the numbers will be just fine. Well, that, and that's a great, I think that's a great place to end because I think one one of the things I'm getting from you and that I really appreciate is the sense of things can be both ways. Things can be multiple ways, right? So we can lose newspapers, which is sad, but it opens up other opportunities as well. There's other opportunities that are happening at the same time. We can use data to drive clicks, but we can also use it to tell better stories about our communities around us. And so um, the the sort of knee jerk despair that we sometimes get about about new media and how it's affecting journalism sounds like it, it just often needs to be tempered with a dose of what's also possible. Absolutely, yeah. uh, you know, and and students uh, have 
you know, uh, have all, uh, there's an endless, there are endless possibilities for, for good journalism ahead. And, and I think students who graduate knowing uh, a little bit about uh, media in general, understanding how, how those things, how they interact with each other, the different mediums, I mean, um, and, and, and appreciating the fact that news is delivered on multiple platforms uh, and at, at various times of day, you know, uh, to, to various audiences, understanding that uh, can really prepare them for lots of different jobs uh, and lots of different careers. Well, Julie Metzger, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. And that'll do it for another installment of Modern Media. Our guest today has been Julie Metzger, a journalist, publisher, media educator, and entrepreneur. Modern Media is a production of the Polium Center for Contemporary Media at DePaul University. For more information and to listen to previous episodes, visit our website, www.modernmediapodcast.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at media underscore podcast. Until next time, I'm JNP, and this is Modern Media.